Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Good day, good friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, As we all know, there are a lot of serious problems facing this country. Gun violence, COVID, climate change, and inflation, to mention just a few. And there was a time, not so long ago, when we could count on Congress to deal with such problems, but not any longer. And the reason is not because there are two major political parties which can't agree which way to go. No, no, no. The reason is because today there are two political parties one of which wants to get things done, but the other has become nothing but a religious cult which wants to do nothing but worship its orange leader. The result is a total breakdown of the legislative process, which is probably beyond repair. Today we decided to ask Norm Ornstein, veteran congressional watchdog and emeritus scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, if he'd ever seen anything like it. Norm Arnstein, good to talk to you. Good to reconnect with you. It's been too long. And welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. It's so great to be with you, Bill. So, Norm, I knew we were going to be talking today. Very excited. And I uh, reached right in back of my desk here and pulled um, your book from the shelf. It's even worse than it looks, is the title. Uh, And, Norm, that was 10 years ago. So, Uh, Am I correct in thinking it's even worse today than it was 10 years ago? Oh, yes. And, you know, I sometimes joke, Bill, that uh, a year after we did that book, um, we did a paperback edition and I convinced the publisher to uh, change the title to It's Even Worse Than It Was. And then I would say to people, if we had to do a, uh, a sequel, it might be Run For Your Lives. <laughs> and we're getting uh, dangerously close to that uh, point. Uh when we wrote that book, we knew that the Republican Party was in uh, a very bad place. We called it an insurgent outlier, noted that the party had become contemptuous of facts and science uh, and of the regular order. Um, but I never thought that it would turn as quickly as it has into, in effect, a cult. And it's almost akin to a fanatic religious cult. And when you get into a situation where the same day that there was a violent uh, invasion of the Capitol, putting the lives of members, not to mention the vice president, uh, at stake, the place was trashed. They left and came back, the members of the uh, Congress, uh, a few hours later, and two-thirds of House Republicans still voted uh, that uh, the election had been illegitimate, that uh, B- Joe Biden had not won. Uh, that's behavior by a cult. And in effect, there are two kinds of people. There are the fanatics themselves who believe all of this stuff and believe that there was massive voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are the cowards, um, the ones Liz Cheney has said, and I believe her, that 
a very large number of her colleagues came up to her and said, we're with you, but we can't do it publicly. And that's where we are. And it's, of course, not just in Washington. It's even worse in many ways in state legislatures uh, and uh, out uh, in the public as a whole. Uh, you know, we still have a majority of Republicans who believe that Joe Biden was not elected legitimately. Uh, we're in a bad place right now. And, uh, and one of the elements here, uh, really, Bill, is that we can't function as a democracy if we don't have two uh, problem-solving parties who believe in the legitimacy of the political system. And we don't right now. And of course, the danger to the fundamental fabric of our political system uh, is uh, is dire. Well, that's one thing you made clear uh, 10 years ago, uh, that people who say, well, you know, both parties are to blame, both parties are bad, both neither party is wanting to get things done, whatever. Uh, you, you refute that and give a lot of evidence against it. Uh, you did 10 years ago, talking about the Congress. Uh, it's even more so today, right? I mean, that that most of the blame has to be laid at the feet of the Republican Party, particularly the Trump Republican Party. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, we have one side that is uh, a covey of angels and the other side <laughs> right. that's all bad. There are no angels here. Politics, as you know, uh, uh, as well as anybody, um, ain't beanbag. It's uh, a tough business. But the, the contrast between the parties at this point could not be stronger. One of the great frustrations that I have is how much the powerful mainstream media, the major newspapers, the television networks, um, are willfully blind to this, continue to pursue this as if it were a both sides narrative. Uh, and uh, what James Fallows originally coined as false equivalence continues to be more the norm than the exception. And that means that Americans do not know very large numbers of them, what the reality is and what the danger is to the system. And we see that, frankly, in uh, the surveys that show how many people are willing to vote Republican the next time. You know, not to realize what it would mean to have um, a country hamstrung by the Jim Jordans and Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world or the Ron Johnsons uh, is as much as anything the fault of media that uh, just refused to call it as reality says it should be. Uh, I have to tell you, it frustrates me too. I mean, to see coverage of something like a former president, right, yeah. who calls the existing, pre the current president illegitimate, insists the election was stolen from him, or to see stories like st state legislatures passing bills, it's not just another bill, it's a bill that would undermine the democratic system, put people in charge with the authority to overturn an election if they don't like the outcome. And it's reported as just another day in the park. It's, it's also, uh, you know, the extremism that we're seeing out there, state legislatures that are moving forward and governors willing to sign the bills that would uh, make illegitimate all abortions, including ectopic pregnancies where you have a fetus that isn't viable in the first place, but the mother will surely die. And they call themselves pro-life and continue to be characterized that way more broadly. To see in the aftermath of Uvalde and uh, uh, and these other massacres, 
bills moving forward to have concealed carry uh, handguns for teachers to double down on uh, some of the worst elements uh, of what we have in our loose gun laws, to see two Trump-nominated uh, and Senate-confirmed judges in the Ninth Circuit invalidate a California law that said that minors could not get access to weapons right. of war like yeah. AR-15s, and that that's not a top-level story, that we're not seeing what direction people want to move in. I'll mention one other thing. CPAC, uh, which is really the cutting edge for these right-wing forces, held its annual meeting in Hungary. Hungary. In Hungary, and all with the purpose of giving awards and laudatory uh, approval to Viktor Orban. This is a group of people who want an autocracy. To see uh, the governor of Florida uh, block uh, a grant to the Tampa Bay Rays because they did some tweets that were critical of his policies, that's Viktor Orban. Um, That's uh, a more pernicious version of Donald Trump in uh, Ron DeSantis. Right. And look what he did for Disney as well, right? Disney dared criticize a bill that he signed, rightfully Every so. Every one of these Republican presidential wannabes uh, who may or may not run against Trump, uh, but some of them will, DeSantis, Hawley, Cruz, who's just despicable, and you look at the way he's reacted to the Uvalde massacre, Cotton, uh, Christy Nome, uh, all of them are basically going to run as I'm just like Donald Trump, except I'm younger, thinner, and meaner. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm just like Donald Trump, except I'm not Trump, right? So uh, are we hopelessly divided? I mean, do you see any any way out? Uh, it's very tough to find a good path. Uh, one thing I would say is, If somehow we got a miraculous turnaround and Democrats held on to the House and Senate, if, for example, the public reaction against the Roe v. Wade decision, assuming that that uh, uh, Uh draft brief is close to the final product, if the reaction uh, after all of these continuing massacres uh, using uh, these weapons uh, of mass destruction, Uh, out there uh, activates voters, suburban voters, a Democratic base. If uh, the January 6th hearings jolt people into realizing that we really do have a fundamental choice between autocracy and democracy, and uh, Republican hopes uh, of winning the House and Senate fail, that may give traction to the Liz Cheney wing Uh, of uh, the Republican Party, small as it is, uh, to make them rethink where they are. Um, If instead they win the House and or the Senate, um, we're headed for very bad times. And I don't see much out there in the country that's there to pull people together. Um, It's a tragedy. Those are big ifs that you you listed listed there. Uh, And, you know, Joe Biden campaigned and people, I think, uh, were, they, they heard what they wanted to hear, which is here's a man who can bring people back together and get some things done and go back to the way it used to be. Uh, 
in effect, that was an impossible dream for Joe Biden, wasn't it? I mean, is he is he stuck in the past? Uh, you know, I, I I would have some criticism of the way uh, Biden and his team have handled uh, some of the uh, events uh, and the issues going forward. Um, but I would say this, Bill: if somehow we had gotten Mansion and Cinema to go along with even a slimmed down version of mm-hmm. the poorly named Build Back Better, we'd be in a different place right now. I think the way Manchin played uh, uh, Biden for months on end, the way the administration, instead of focusing on each of those individual components, uh, the child care provision, uh, the child tax credit, the uh, universal pre-K and so on, um, you know, framed it as uh, a, an amorphous build back better. And then the narrative became, will it be 3.5 trillion or 1.5 or 2.0? Yeah. And then nothing happened. It created even more this sense that um, they couldn't get things done. You know, the reality is if you, if you and I had been sitting at the inauguration of Joe Biden on January 20th, 2021, and I had turned to you and said, you know what, Bill, uh, with a 50-50 Senate, with uh, a margin in the House of three or four, in his first year, Joe Biden will get $3 trillion in COVID relief infrastructure and fundamental safety net programs, and more judges than any president has done in a year, despite all the hurdles and having universally applied uh, opposition to almost all of them from Republicans. You would have said that's you're pie in the sky. <laughs> I would say you're nuts. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so there have been accomplishments, but they've been undercut by some of the other realities, and by I think what has been um, not effective messaging of the larger problems. Mm-hmm. Beyond you know, uh, instead of running on build back better or, or focusing on build back better, they had focused on those individual components. If um, I wish that the president had continued actually one of the things that um, Donald Trump did, which is every week uh, or even every day have a press uh, briefing for the country on what we're doing with COVID. Mm -hmm. President introduces it, turns it over to Jeff Zients and uh, Tony Fauci and others and made it clear that there was an understanding of how much disruption this had caused to uh, American people and to families, and that here's where we were making progress, and here's why we're doing what we're doing. I look at the election in Virginia, where um, a Trumpist in disguise, uh, the uh, governor now, uh, Glenn Youngkin, ran not just against critical race theory, I mean, he played the race card, but it was also against this disaffection that families in Virginia have felt uh, because of the sense that Democrats looked at the closing of the schools, which completely disrupted their lives uh, as, hey, you know, it's public health. That's what we got to do. Too bad. Instead of showing compassion that, you know, a family that relied on two earners, one of them couldn't work because there was no place to take the kids. Mm -hmm. And a family stuck for two years in a small apartment with multiple kids 24-7 was going to have stresses and strains in their lives and that we did this regretfully. We're going to try and get out of it as quickly as we can. We're going to find a better balance. 
that might have made a difference because I think the distemper that we have in the country is partly COVID-related. If I had been uh, in the White House, I would have urged Joe Biden early on to channel his inner Harry Truman. And mm-hmm. I would have hauled in the oil company executives when uh, gasoline prices began to go through the roof and excoriated them publicly over their record profits and profiteering uh, uh, on the backs of Americans who were uh, struggling. Um, I might have even imposed uh, price controls on gasoline at the pump with a promise to uh, compensate the independent gas station owners if they were going to lose money. I mean, there are things that show you're a fighter that also mitigate against, you know, this uh, feeling of, of inflation kind of drowning us right now. Uh, so you can always, you know, do this kind of criticism. But getting back to your original point and circling to it, the idea that anybody at this point was going to be able to unite Americans, despite the deep compassion that Joe Biden has and the fact that he comes from a working class background in the face of Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram, the Murdochs, um, the uh, uh, reality that Mitch McConnell said Mitch McConnell, that he wanted right. to block everything in the program and the fact that you're going to have a, a mansion and a cinema who are going to stand in the way of a lot of what you want to do, uh, you know, that was not going to happen, period. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden really felt, I think, um, well, let's put this way. It's, a, it's a different breed of Republican he's dealing with today than he dealt with when he was in the United States Senate. Um, yeah, and I, I that's think for sure. He, I, I do think Biden realizes that now. He's kind Mm -hmm. of stuck in a position where he doesn't want to appear to be uh, a partisan, uh, where there are some areas where you still, uh, including, you know, now with this desperate effort to get a a watered down gun bill through, where you still want to get at least some help. But the reality is the Republican Party is going to do everything it can to undermine him. If things go badly in the country, they're going to be happy. Because the more disruption there is, the more people are going to say, eh, let's go in another direction. Uh, And even, you know, what I've seen, I look at the way Republicans in the Senate have dealt with confirmations. And this this is uh, as much executive confirmations as anything else. On uh, most instances, including those who are highly qualified in important positions that need to be filled, the Fed all of the positions uh, uh, coordinating aid to Ukraine, they have blocked as much as they can. They've used the Senate rules to delay and bollocks things up. They've uh, ended up forcing out some key uh, highly qualified nominees like Sarah Bloom Raskin from the Fed. And they've done this in unison. The idea that there are any moderates among this Republican group is just farcical. Right. Proven time and time and again. Uh, a couple of issues we've touched on. Uh, I want to uh, dive into a little bit deeper with you, Norm, uh, and how they may impact uh, the upcoming midterm elections, those issues being, of course, abortion and guns. But let's take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. Then we'll come back and pick up with our guest today, Norm Ornstein. today's podcast, I'd like to give a shout out, a special shout out to the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, the good men and women of the AFA. I think about them every time 
I'm on a plane. They are 50,000 strong, serving 17, 17 different airlines, and they serve us so well. And unfortunately, they have to take so much unnecessary and regrettable abuse from some passengers. So here's to the flight attendants of America under the leadership of Sarah Nelson, who's been a guest here on the Bill Press Pod, a good friend. So we salute the good members of the AFA and thank them for their great service that all of us enjoy. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod. Norm Ornstein joining us. He's Emeritus Scholar from the American Enterprise Institute contributing editor to The Atlantic, and just an all-around good guy and good friend, a long-time friend, Norm. Uh, good to have you here. So let's talk about guns. Last week, Thursday evening, President Biden gave a passionate speech from the White House uh, in the wake of Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas. Um, and there are these negotiations, bipartisan negotiations, on some form of gun control taking place in the Senate. Uh do you have any hope or hold out any hope that it could be different this time? We might see something done? I think there's a reasonable chance we'll see something done. It's no sure thing. Um, Mitch McConnell has basically designated John Cornyn uh, as yeah. his watchdog in these negotiations. And uh, I was uh, struck to see that uh, yesterday, uh, some supporter of Cornyn did a tweet saying, hey, John Cornyn, you're not going to trample on my Second Amendment rights, are you? And Cornyn uh, uh, tweeted back, ain't going to happen. Right. Uh, what they're considering, and you know, I have enormous sympathy for uh, Chris Murphy. Uh, he and Dick Blumenthal, the two senators from Connecticut, but Murphy in particular, right. have been passionate ever since Sandy Hook about doing something about guns, pushed as much as they possibly can. Murphy now is at a point where it's basically anything, if we can do anything, and uh, an understanding that 
neither mansion nor cinema will move in any fashion on the filibuster. Uh, if they did, of course, you could get something more significant. But they're looking at, you know, something that's going to give a nod to Republicans with uh, mental health uh, help and uh, funds for school security, uh, most of which is just a, a sidetrack. Um, they're uh, probably going to get some gun safety provision in there. There'll be something that will encourage states to do red flag laws. Uh, those things may make a difference at the margins. If you don't raise the age for mm -hmm. uh, access to these assault weapons, the irony here that in Texas uh, at 18, you cannot get a handgun. You can't get a handgun until you're 21, but you can get an AR-15. Right. The reality that an 18-year-old could go in and get two high-powered, high-priced assault weapons and 1,675 bullets, along with the body armor, um, it, it's just absurd. But we're not going to do that. A ban on assault weapons, you know, in some ways it's almost impossible at this point, Bill, because... You know, looking at the staggering statistics, when the assault weapon ban from the Clinton administration was repealed because the Bush Republicans uh, mm -hmm. basically blocked it from being re-implemented, there were 400,000 uh, AR-15s and other equivalent weapons. Now there are 20 million. Jesus. You know, if we, we can't do a kind of buyback uh, that... Uh, uh, they did in Australia, but even banning the future sale of these weapons, of getting, uh, you know, I think they may do a background check provision. The question is whether the background check provision that they build in is robust enough. Are you going to deal with the gun show loophole? Uh, the main things that you'd want to do where the problem is access to weapons of mass destruction and bullets that can kill guns that are designed only to kill people. Admiral Stavridis the other day was asked whether he thought that these kinds of weapons of war should be accessible to civilians, and his one-word answer was no. Right. But, uh, you know, if you're not going to grapple with this, and it's clear that Republicans are just uh, now see the winds blowing against them of public opinion, they want to do some Band-Aid, I don't blame Chris Murphy and the other Democrats for accepting a Band-Aid where before there was nothing to cover any part of a gaping wound, um, but we're not going to make the great headway now, and that makes us different from every other country. And one thing I just want to mention that I think we have to emphasize over and over again, as Mitch McConnell went out there and talked about how the problem was uh, right. uh, mentally yeah. ill people, in Europe, in Canada, in Australia, in Asia, they have serious mental illness, just as much serious mental illness as we have. Of course, right. But they yeah. don't have mass killings and mass shootings. Uh, so the idea that this is simply a problem of mental illness is nonsense, and it's destructive in many, many ways. President Biden in his speech said, I'll never forget this. And he said, I don't think the, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but very close to, I don't think the American people will if we don't act, they will remember it with their votes. Do you think this is an issue where, so far we haven't seen it, where Americans would just get pissed off enough that they'll go to the polls to, you know, basically vote against people? 
who refused to take any strong gun safety uh, action. You know, um, what's happened in the past, and this was the McConnell strategy and the NRA strategy and the broader Republican strategy, was every time we'd get one of these horrific events, they would stall and delay. And, the you know, the attention span of the public is not enormous. Right. And yeah. when the initial outrage went away, the ability to do anything just dissipated. Um, they're hoping for that again. Um, if we don't see, you know, they say they've got a framework in place for this diluted uh, bill to deal with these tragedies. If what we see is uh, they're stuck on the details, it's going to go through June, mm-hmm. it may take until July, we'll see that what they're doing is the same kind of strategy. And I'm not sure it won't work again. But one thing that's actually gut-wrenching is that what may make it more difficult to work again is there's little doubt in my mind that we're going to have more of these tragedies ahead. Every time there is one, it gets a lot of publicity. It triggers some other deranged person uh, to uh, do a copycat kind of thing. Uh, And that may keep this issue in the front of people's minds. And we always have to remember that as we look towards elections, we have a a Republican core that is going to turn out in significant numbers. They are view themselves as victims. They don't like what's going on. If you're angry, you vote. Right. Uh, Democrats have been disillusioned. And uh, right now they're not energized. And that's particularly true of younger voters. Independents are on the fence. Suburban voters, um, many of them, as they did in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin, um, may well turn out and vote Republican as they have in the past. The real question is whether this issue, Roe uh, and January 6th, jolt them into realizing that they better vote and they better vote against people who want to turn the country into an authoritarian uh, haven. Well, then let me ask the same question about Roe and what we believe the Supreme Court uh, is definitely going to do. I mean, this is uh, the first time, right, that a court has taken back a right that it once gave, itself gave. I mean, 50 years. Um, they used to talk about soccer moms. I've heard people talk this year. There could be the angry moms, right, who respond to both, you're not protecting my kids in school and you're not, and you're not giving and you're taking away my control over my own body. Is this an issue, do you think, that can rally Democratic voters in the midterms? You know, I must say when that draft opinion was leaked, I was a little surprised. I thought that uh, while there would be four justices ready to, you know, blow the whole thing up, that there would be a kind of political strategy. We will, at this particular point, uh, embrace the Mississippi law in the Dobbs decision that would ban abortions after 15 weeks. And then it would be that chipping away over time until uh, the whole thing went and that they would, you know, take their time uh, again mm-hmm. with the Texas law, which effectively outlaws abortion while creating these vigilante groups um, before saying, well, that's not a great idea and not because they don't like it, but because of a fear that uh, you could see uh, Democrats, as uh, Gavin Newsom has threatened, to use the same approach, vigilante groups, when it comes to banning guns um, but uh, uh, or banning assault weapons. Uh, 
but it looks as if they're going to go the whole way. And I think it's pretty clear we have five radical justices, many of whom just want to rip the Band-Aid off completely uh, on this issue. They're ready to do it, and it's why wait? Um, the question after that is, what we're going to see is a whole lot of states that are then going to impose the most draconian uh, practices. And They're ready to go, right? Early, yeah. Uh, including ones that will make it very clear that the life of the mother doesn't matter at all to them. You know, the idea that these people are called pro-life is uh, mind-boggling. They are pro-death uh, in so many ways. You know, Barney Frank's uh, great phrase that these are people who believe life begins at conception and ends at birth. Um and we're going to see instances where they try to block people from going to another state. But of course, it's the poor women and the poor families who are going to suffer the most from this. And uh, it's not out of the question to me that the court will at some point, or uh, if they gain full control of government, outlaw abortion entirely. We're going to see states that are going to start to criminalize miscarriages mm -hmm. and criminalize doctors who deal with miscarriages, um, which means that we're going to see more women die, even those who aren't necessarily uh, trying to obtain an abortion. Um, but how much that will move voters, how much it will move young women in areas where it matters, uh, I just don't know. Um, I'm not as confident as I have been. Now, I think if, uh, if it does move enough of those suburban voters, if it does get Democrats who were thinking, what's the point of voting? We're not getting what we want anyhow, that this is really uh, a critical moment. Uh, then we might see a different outcome. You have to ask the question, if neither of those issues moves young people to vote particularly, yeah. then where are we or who are we? Yeah. Right? We're yes. really screwed. Well, what is this Alito uh, let's not call it the Alito decision yet, but uh, the likelihood of overturning Roe v. Wade. What does it tell you about the Supreme Court? I mean, we remember Justice Sotomayor's famous question when they were during oral arguments on this Mississippi law, can the court survive the stench that this will create as we're just uh, a bunch of political hacks? Uh, it looks that way, doesn't it? Uh, and I, I would say this is not the Roberts court. This is the Alito court. Or Thomas now, court. Yeah, right. it's, but it's the Alito yeah. court. Alito is the, the leader here. Thomas yeah. certainly goes along. Um, I don't have uh, much respect anymore for John Roberts. I think he makes strategic decisions from time to time to try to protect the uh, historical uh, uh, view of uh, the Roberts court. But remember, this is a guy who, um, you know, basically lied in his confirmation hearings uh, when Citizens United came up, who ignored every reality uh, on the voting rights issue with uh, the Shelby County decision. And despite the fact that every prediction that he made was wrong, has refused to budge from any of that, who supported the uh, further erosion of voting rights in the Brnovich decision, which was uh, Alito completely uh, uh, shunning the clear language in the law to reach his own conclusion. And there were six votes for that. But John Roberts, at least, you know, doesn't want to go full bore, crazy radical. 
and be a complete partisan hack. Um, Alito is that, and he's the leader here. And it's pretty clear that the court no longer cares about any of the norms of behavior. And let's face it, let's look at a Roberts court that went to DEFCON 1 over the leak of this draft, but has refused to even lift a tiny finger to deal with the blatant conflicts of interest and uh, uh, basic obstruction of uh, integrity by uh, Clarence Thomas with the actions of his radical wife and his refusal to recuse from any decision where she is directly involved. Nothing from Chief Justice Roberts and the court. It's hard to talk about the legitimacy of the Supreme Court right now, given where we are. So um, you've been very generous with your time. I I, I don't want to let you go with that. I follow you on on, uh, Twitter, uh, Norm. Uh, And I I, I had to, uh, uh, I enjoyed a laugh the other day when I saw that you referred to uh, Newt Gingrich as, quote, one of the five top villains of our time. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Why does he make the list so high on the list? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, if we go back to when Newt came to Washington, January of 1979, uh, he, at that point, had a full-blown strategy, complete with tactics, on how to break the Democrats' then 26-year stranglehold, uh, Mm -hmm. or 24-year stranglehold on power in the House. And it involved deliberately tribalizing our politics and uh, destroying the integrity of Congress so that voters at some point point would say, oh, this is so bad. Uh, Anything would have to be better. Let's throw the ins out and bring the outs in. And of course, it worked in 1994. But the beginnings of not polarization, the polarization, uh, the fact that our parties were sorting into uh, equivalent of parliamentary parties preceded Gingrich and was going to happen anyhow. But you can be polarized and still function Tribalization means that you divide the country uh, into camps and one camp well-armed that believes the other side is evil and trying to destroy our way of life. We now have very substantial uh, proportions of Republicans and plenty of Democrats who believe that we could have a civil war. And Newt began that process. Right. Newt has... uh, Uh, You know, it worked for him up to a point, but he also recruited a large number of people into Congress who have continued that approach and the tribalization. He's worked with Fox and others. I, of course, included the Murdochs high Mm -hmm. on that list as well. Uh, Donald Trump was uh, not the instigator of this. Uh, He was an accelerant, but Newt is high on that list. Yeah, absolutely. I remember Newt actually, and you do too. Uh, putting out a list of terms. These are the terms that you use when you're talking about Democrats. These are the terms you use when you're talking about Republicans. Enemy camps, right? He divided the House into enemy camps. You know, the the proportion of people who say, uh, Republicans, who say that violence is an appropriate tool if your way of life is threatened, that's a very, very frightening thing. Right. I've had Republican members tell me privately, right? that uh, this whole mess we're in today, it all started with Newt Gingrich when he came to Washington. So, uh, Norm, 
Yeah, we didn't even talk about the other four. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, uh, great to uh, just take a look at the land- political landscape with you, as grim as it is today. Norm, thank you so much for all your good work. Thanks for getting your, keeping your voice out there. And thanks for taking time for the Bill Press Pod today. We'll talk again soon. You bet, Bill. Take care. And that's it for today's podcast. Oh, God, I wish things were better than they are. But Norm Ornstein, I'm afraid, has it absolutely right on target. Things are not as bad as they seem. They're even worse. But thanks to Norm for joining us today. Thanks for all of you for joining us again. Always good to have you here on the podcast. Looking ahead this week, Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, the first big public hearing of the January 6th committee which promises to be a real bombshell. The uh, members of the committee have said they have video, they have documents, they have information that none of us have seen before, uh, but will be released at that first hearing. So you know damn well we'll be discussing that, diving into it, and analyzing the impact of this big hearing on our roundtable Friday morning. So watch the hearing of the January 6th committee on Thursday evening. And tune in to our roundtable on the Bill Press Pod Friday morning. We'll see you then.